Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. How are you doing today, Tim? Pretty good. It's a wonderful day. Yeah, it's Good Friday. I'll tell you, you're probably doing a little bit better than me. I imbibed a little too much at opening day yesterday in Denver. How was that? Oh, it was amazing. I'm 24,000 people or so, which which was super um, awkward almost because I hadn't yeah. been around anywhere near that many people in a long time. But it was actually like, I mean, people were just really happy to be out and about. It was it was a really fun scene, and I, you know, I had a blast. So any uh, you know, any mask uh, shaming or anything like that going on? Not really. I mean, they would come around, uh, you know, to the to the seats and be like, "Hey, if you're not." drinking or eating, you've got to wear your mask. So I just, you know, held on to a beer for the entire nine innings. That's the only reason that, you know, you I imbibed here. Yeah, 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 that's okay. the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> but no, had a blast. Rockies won against the Dodgers, which is always great. Uh, and the weather was perfect. So anyways, I'm going to need to uh, ride you a little bit more than normal today, Tim. Got a little bit of a headache, but just the way things are going to go. And uh, speaking of riding, we have Whitney Wicks. Nice segue. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> it's going awesome. I'm I'm so glad that you were able to join us for this one, Whitney. So, um, Tim, you're you're just meeting Whitney now, but seeing that she's really burst on the scene in the last couple of years, I think this is her fourth podcast. She just said uh, before we hit record, and uh, yeah, Whitney and I came across each other when I was at Seven Lakes. This must have been 2014 or 15. And were you at Emerald? Is that where you were at? Yes, that's right. So you were, you know, Whitney was kind of an emerging young uh, landman at Emerald, and uh, we talked about some some software, some dashboards, and it was it was very obvious that Whitney was forward thinking, looking to push technology. The company at the time just wasn't able to make the move, and I, I think they hit Chapter Eleven not not too long after. Uh, and then our paths crossed again, I think 2018, when you were at, was it Crowheart or was it called something else? Yeah, Exaro, formerly formerly known Exaro. as Exaro. That's right. So both of us were in Broomfield. I was at a company called PetroDE um, and came in and, and you really saw the value of kind of the mapping solution for how it would help you uh, as a land person. But yep. you made a really big move shortly after. You said, I want, first of all, I'm a, I'm a country gal and we'll talk about that. But you moved to um, Wyoming and started your own company. So I, I want to hear all about that. But before you jump into <laughs> rocking, rocking WW, tell us about growing up. I think you're from the Western Slope and mm -hmm. um, obviously an athlete. So sort of give us your, your story and how it led you sure. to uh, Sheridan, Wyoming. All right. So I was uh, born and raised in Aspen, Colorado. Contrary to a popular belief, people do live there full time. I thought that, um, yeah, I thought that was just a, <laughs> just a, just a winter thing. I know people think I'm a unicorn, but we had a, a great community growing up. My graduating class was about 120 kids, very close knit community, um, very sports focused, obviously very winter sports focused. Um, so I grew up in my two, uh, you know, played every kind of sport you could until I hit high school and had to choose two. So I picked, um, narrowed it down to, to horseback riding, to show jumping and skiing. And, uh, you know, did slope style, the jumps and the rails, the kind of stuff you see in X Games. That and, feels like uh, an odd combination. Ah, show jumping and skiing. Oh, Tim, Tim, I thought yeah. those were your, your I just like being too, in right? the air, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. That's awesome. But, uh, you know, and then that led to uh, 
when I was a, a junior, my coaches and my dad made me choose between the horse thing or the ski thing. Um, and at the time, you know, I was just uh, beginning my professional career. Um, I turned pro skiing when I was 15 and, you know, was traveling um, the world with friends and getting out of school every other day at 945 to practice, but really go home and nap till noon and then go practice. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> envious now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I did that. Um, and, you know, that probably was the biggest driver in my decision of where to go to school. You know, I had the, the grades and I think the ability uh, to, to go to a lot of other places. But at the time, you know, my friends growing up in Aspen went to see you Boulder. My older brother was there. Everybody in the ski industry was there, um, you know, and we'd all go to school kind of opposite of everybody else. So we'd go to school summer through fall and take winters off to ski and compete. Nice. And uh, so I chose to you Boulder, um, short-sighted. And so went to see you Boulder, um, sustained a fourth serious knee injury. So I had to have a fourth uh, knee construction and ooh, ooh. had to uh, quit skiing at that point and really just focus on academics, junior, senior year. And that's when I really got focused on what I wanted to do long-term um, with my career and, uh, you know, began to ironically dabble in endurance sports, which is not something that you think that you should go to, you know, with a bad knee. Sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So, um, originally, you know, growing up in Aspen, now that I'm in oil and gas, you know, there, I know so many people that have houses there that are in oil and gas, you know, second, third yep. set or homes. But those weren't the people that I really saw or the people that, that, you know, my friends and family were connected to. I think a lot of the locals um, that had moved back, you know, were these financiers, um, you know, these, you know, different Wall Street tycoons that could split their time between, you know, Aspen and New York City, a lot of really successful entrepreneurs. And so I, for me growing up, like my standard of success was Wall Street and finance. And so I thought, you know, I wanted to go to school. I did my bachelor's in finance and I thought that I was going to go to Wall Street, um, you know, but my career ambitions didn't really line up so much with the school I chose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't really think about that at the time. And so, you know, I've said this before, but I had this one, I think a teacher and uh, I think it was financial derivatives and he's worked at Goldman Sachs for, for his career. And he took me aside after class one day and he said, you know, Whitney, you seem like you're really passionate, you know, about finance and you're really good at it. So I'm just curious of like, well, what do you want to do with this? Where do you see yourself going? And it's really funny, but my response at the time was, I want to be the she wolf of wall street. Nice. And I like he, that title. And I mean, at the time, it like sounds weird. I didn't mean like I want to do a bunch of quaaludes and like drink, <laughs> but <laughs> I wanted to go, you know, and, and, um, you know, be a force to, you know, to be reckoned with, you know, when, um, you know, the, the, I guess the female side of, of wall street. And he said, he kind of laughed at that. And he said, you know what? I can really appreciate that, but I, I feel like I should let you know now that you chose the wrong school. <laughs> you might want to move closer to Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I did some thinking about it, moved home for the summer to work and 
was really kind of torn about, you know, okay, well, where do I go from here? What do I want to do? Because I thought my whole life I was just going to go to school and then, you know, work my way up, you know, in the finance world. And then um, I was worked at a a pretty um, fancy seafood restaurant in Aspen that anyone that's been going to Aspen for, you know, consistently for the past 20 years would recognize, but it was called Pacifica. And we had a bunch of customers in there that were obviously the oil and gas guys that would move to their, you know, summer homes in Aspen from Texas. And so one of them, Jim Dyer, he has a, um, his own little operating company out of Dallas kind of, you know, took a special interest in me and, you know, we kind of formed a relationship outside of uh, the restaurant and I'd meet him at the dog park. And the more he told me about oil and gas, the more I fell in love with it, you know, and he was, told me, he's like, you got to be a landman. You know, you have the disposition and the drive to be a landman. And the more he told me about it, you know, the more I just kind of fell in love with the industry and the more I researched and learned about it on my own. And I remember calling my dad one day and I was walking home from work and I was like, I know what I'm going to do with my life. You know, he said, what's that? And I said, oil and gas. Nice. And wow. I never and what, was reaction? what was his reaction? <laughs> I think, you know, I, I have like a lot of, you know, ideas and, uh, you know, I'm always kind of getting, uh, you know, obsessed with one thing. And, you know, I think he, he was kind of like, OK, yeah, this is this is the, yeah, the thing believe, for now. I'll believe yeah. you ever see it. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. now. Um, but he's like, oh, you know, oil and gas. Well, you know, um, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. So did you move to Dallas? Did you move to Dallas? Or no. And I mean, I think, you know, that's for me, looking back on my career, what really, I guess, is um, I'm really appreciative and kind of humbled by is when I look back, when I got into the industry, I didn't know one person in Denver. I forced my way, you know, into the industry alone. The contacts I had were in, you know, obviously Dallas and probably could help me get jobs out there. But at the time I was for one reason or another, (laughs) a boy was stuck, um, you know, on staying in Denver. And uh, so I went back to school at DU, got three certificates in petroleum land management and just kind of started sending my resume every which way. Couldn't really get a response from anybody um, except for Purple Land Management, which, you know, had just opened like their 11th office or something in Denver. You know, they were rapidly expanding one of the biggest, you know, um, land services companies in the country at the time. And so they hired me on, gave me my first chance, which I'm very appreciative of. And, and I just did, you know, ran title and, um, you know, did abstracting and due diligence projects for about six months. And uh, which, you know, now has been tremendously helpful, you know, in what we're doing now. Me having to set up a title department took a lot of what I learned, you know, in my first experience. But then, you know, luckily, shortly thereafter, I was hired at, at um Purple, about six months later, I was called up by a buddy that was working for a Balkan operator. And he got me a job as a uh, full-time contract landman working for mm-hmm. the, the operator. And so I went and did that. And just from there, kind of stayed, you know, in-house working for operators until Rock and WW. That's nice. Go ahead, Tim. So, all right. You said the word landman and... Uh, Jeremy emphasized it when it happened, when he said it the first time, mm-hmm. land man. And, you know, <laughs> I guess we always interpreted, you know, my, when I was coming up at land man was always that that's a, you know, a chairman or whatever. So, and I haven't seen a lot of push to change the, 
title landman to be more gender uh, neutral. Yeah, I what, don't think. What's your take on? I, don't, I honestly think like some people, you know, I I've heard people use the phrase landlady or landwoman, and it's semi offensive. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why, you know, because I just, you know, I to me it's you know a a non gender specific, I think, uh, you know, profession, and so. Um, yeah. And honestly, at this point, I don't really, I don't really think of myself as a landman. And I think of myself more as an oil and gas professional. I think by, you know, because I don't have a technical degree in either, you know, geology or petroleum engineering, naturally, you know, I fall into, um, the category of being a landman. And that's definitely where I started my career. But I think today I identify more with just being a general oil and gas professional. Yeah. I've seen I've seen some people referring to it as a land manager now, and they're saying that's what the man stands for. But hey, I'm, I'm always curious if that that one sticks out as it hasn't changed, and no one seems to be really upset by it at all. So it's just interesting. Yeah, I think I think it's because the females that are that are in the industry, you know, we're such a low percentage that if you're in, you know, the boys club and you're you're a landman, you're proud of it, and you don't really, you know, um, you're probably not the type of person that's really sensitive to, uh, you know, highlighting the gender in your occupational title. That it's, that's true. It comes with the, with the turf. So, so anyways, I want to go back to 2018 ish and I could see that you, you know, you had some thoughts in the works. First of all, I think you wanted to move to Wyoming. That was a a passion of yours, but then what is rocking WW? What are you guys up to today in uh, Wyoming? Yeah. So in 18, when I had a chance to get out of Exaro, which is now known as Crowhart Energy. Um, you know, that was the company I think where I really fell in love with Wyoming. And I really hadn't spent much time prior to that in Wyoming. But, you know, we, we bought all of Lynn Energy's assets uh, out of bankruptcy in South Central Wyoming in the Washakie Basin. And it was a huge position. It was 175,000 net acres, like 1,200 well bores. And Lynn had acquired that from Devin just a couple years before. And Devin had built these amazing immaculate field offices um, that had barely been used in Bags, Wyoming. And so when we took over the asset, we started spending a lot of time in those field offices in Bags, Wyoming. And Bags, Wyoming is literally like two miles across the Colorado border into Wyoming. But it feels like a world apart. You know, the culture, the community, you know, everything, you know, was so different. And I found myself not wanting to come back from the trips to the field. I just wanted to stay, you know, out there in Wyoming, didn't want to come back to the city um, and really just fell in love with the culture and, and uh, you know, the, the history of Wyoming and that fact that it's still the least populated state in the country and has so much oil and gas history, um, you know, back to the 1800s. So, you know, I told Chris that who's now my, you know, co-founder partner and back then was my CEO, I said, I'm going to, I want to move to Wyoming one day, you know, I'm going to find a way to, to move to Wyoming and, and try to bring at least piece of the oil and gas business back there. Um, Cause right now it's really mainly, it's really a contract in a services company state. You know, there's not a lot of EMPs based here or they even have satellite offices here. It's very service based, uh, mm-hmm. which is sad because it used to be a Mecca. Casper used to have, you know, a, yeah a big office for all the big operators. And now it's, uh, just, now it's just true. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And, uh, you know, Kirkwood, Wesco, those boys holding it down for the EMPs. 
Um, and I think Wold still has a family office in Casper as well. But so when we were getting out of that, uh, Exaro, you know, my now again, partner, Chris Beato said, you know, I said, uh, I really want to start, you know, a, a mineral company. I think there's a lot of opportunity right now in the Rockies, especially Wyoming, you know, for, with this new mineral segment that's kind of exploded on the scene in the past couple of years. And him being a petroleum engineer, you know, he's so in the weeds, you know, when it comes to operations and in the technical standpoints that he didn't really, you know, see what was happening in that mineral royalty segment and didn't really see the opportunity. So, you know, his plan was to just start another EMP and, and I was going to help him do that. And then the more he learned uh, about this mineral royalty segment and the opportunity that existed, you know, he's such a smart guy. And he said, let's, you know, we can, EMP will always be there. Um, let's focus on this business plan and let's go out and raise money around a mineral royalty acquisition company focused primarily on Wyoming and the Powder River Basin. So we went out, raised some money, um, got a hundred million um, in, uh, in hey equity now. commitment. That works. Yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. yeah that works. yeah. exactly. And then, uh, you know, moved the company headquarters from, you know, Denver to Sheridan, Wyoming and staffed up completely from here. You know, just really moved here um, and it was myself. And then, you know, Chris is spending part time here, leased a fantastic office that was built out for us. And then, you know, started staffing up slowly in-house, started with our first three hires, which are all still with us and are all still, you know, amazing guys. And now we have, you know, about 17 people in this office. Wow. Nice. That happened fast. So that's, that's unreal. You mentioned tracts earlier, shout yeah. out Ashley Gilmore, <laughs> yeah. friend of uh, digital wildcatters and came uh -huh. on the podcast. I don't know, maybe six weeks ago. Um, I've seen a demo of his product. I don't think he really has any true competition other than kind of in-house people, but what value do you get from, I know you love technology. I, I've seen that mm -hmm, in you for the mm -hmm. last seven years since we met. Uh, what do you get from using a tool like Trax and, and does it save you a lot of time? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm just sort of curious from a person who uses a product of somebody that came on the pod. Yeah. So I'll give you a bit, a little bit of a background on how Ash and I met and it, it was through um, you know, when we were putting together this business plan, I started thinking back to, you know, my career early on and my experience in title. And I was thinking, God, there's got to be by now, there's got to be a better way to do this. Somebody has had to come up with some software that makes running title far more efficient than using an Excel spreadsheet, you know, to chain hundreds of documents forward, you know, to get to, you know, an ending result that may or not be accurate probably inaccurate. Um, and so I just started researching. Uh, I think I Googled oil and gas title software. And at that point, there wasn't really much that came up except for tracks. I called tracks. Um, and by that, when that time tracks was much smaller too, and get a call back directly from Ashley. And we talked for, you know, probably an hour. And I remember him being so surprised. He was like, how did you find me? You know, and I said, I literally Googled oil and gas title software. And he was like, nobody Googles that. <laughs> <laughs> Who owns awesome. those, those Google AdWords? 
Yeah. He was like, right. nobody Googles that. So he was so excited. Um, and then next time we were in Houston, I went out and, and met with Ashley. And um, the more that, you know, the first demo he did with me, I was like, this is it. This is what the industry needs. You know, this is what exactly what I was picturing and hoping All right. for. We got to call him and get a sponsorship now. He, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Sponsoring yeah. stuff. I mean, he's doing the crawfish boil thing. So. Yeah. Uh, and so from there, you know, th- there was no other, um, you know, tracks really became almost the, one of the foundations of our business plan, you know, because we have a full in-house title team and we run all of our own title. And, you know, right now, you know, we've got, you know, I think like 10 title am in in-house right now. And so we just kind of are, you know, have a title factory and, and, and tracks is really the foundation of, of everything we do and everything, you know, piles on and, and adds on from there. And so without, you know, without tracks, I mean, our business model would look entirely different. Um, you know, from a cost standpoint, you know, it's so expensive to contract out title. Uh, and, you know, as a mineral royalty acquisition company, so much of your asset base is, is title and you have to generate your own leads, you know, through title. And so if you're paying somebody and you're outsourcing all that, you know, at whatever the going rate is, $400, $500 a day, uh, you know, there's a couple of problems with that. One is obviously that's not a sustainable expense to incur indefinitely. Sure. Um, second is lack of control. Um, you, you know, a lot of these, a lot of, yeah, a lot of these brokerages are hiring people that are working remotely in their house and you don't know how long they're working on, you know, your project and they actually, you know, they're, they make money on a day rate. So they're not incentivized to get things done quickly. Um, and, and you can't really prove them wrong. So when you get a bill from these guys and you're like, how the hell, you know, did it take 80 hours to run this one section? It's really hard to argue with that, you know, where they're like, well, you know, our layman said it was pretty complicated. And you're like, okay, well, you know, and so you lack control that way, uh, controlling your costs, you know, you, you lack control of your work product as well. And so tracks kind of cures all of those things. And so, you know, in-house, we know exactly how many documents our guys are running a day. We can go in there and look at it. You know, and so if someone's underperforming, you know, we can we can address that at the time and figure out, you know, why this person may be struggling or if they need more help with training. Um, you know, it's so easy to go back and update title. So when we, you know, I'm going to touch something for a year, we just go back to it, add a new docs, it's updated. Uh, it's really easy to go in and figure out, you know, if we've made a mistake, you know, or, or you know, for example, we send a transfer to an operator and they hit us back and say, you, you know, we'll we're kind of off a bit, you know, in our well-born interest. And so we have to figure out, okay, is it something that we missed in title? It's so easy to go back to that title and play with it and say, oh, well, this conveyance is kind of weird. What if we had treated it this way? Boom, recalculates. We can see, oh, that's it. That's how, you know, that's how EOG is obviously calculating it or whatever. Interesting. And so it, yeah, it's, um, if you're not using tracks and you depend on title, you are not going to be competitive. <laughs> All right, Whitney. I was doing my research on you as about before the show, and I saw that you've got a new title under your belt, which is uh, thirty under thirty. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I was yeah. going to have how, how's, how's that been? First of all, how do you get in that group? And then second, you know, how <laughs> fun has that been after getting that award? 
Yeah, so that was about I'm you know now 31, and I I'm, it's funny because that that was a kind of a bucket list um, goal I had set for myself I guess when I was younger, and and I got it a month before I turned 30, so that was a pretty pretty awesome 30th birthday present. Nice, um, you know, and honestly, the you know just because the ESG movement and everything, I wouldn't be surprised if if I'm one of the last. Um, you know, millennials and oil and gas that gets it. And, mm. you know, I think that energy uh, segment of Forbes 30 under 30 is really moving heavily towards carbon capture, renewables, you know, battery metals, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was really, uh, really exciting to, to get that. And uh, you asked how, I think there's two things. You have to have a co-founder in your title and you have to have raised, you know, some impressive amount of dollars. <laughs> yeah. I think that those are like the two main boxes they try to, you know, check um, in more of the business categories. So since you got that, what, you know, what's, uh, I mean, obviously that brings a lot of credibility yeah. and I guess attention. Mm -hmm. Has, had there been changes, uh, you getting, you know, your network blow up or how, what happened? Um, yeah, it's a, uh, it you know it what I had a lot of press for the first couple months. Um, a lot of local write ups uh, in Wyoming, very well received. You know everyone was super supportive, excited, which was to total contrast, ironically, to my hometown of Aspen, where wasn't so well received. Um, you know because it was for you know oil and gas. Um, you know, but my my LinkedIn definitely has blown up, and um, I remember like a couple months ago, I made a comment to my boyfriend and I was like, God, I've got more followers on LinkedIn than Instagram. And he said, you say that like, that's a bad thing. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. That's actually, you know, at this point of my career. Yeah, you're right. That's a good that's thing. Funny. So let me ask you this. When, when your dad gets the 30 for 30 notification, 30 under 30 notification, and you go back to that original conversation, having to go into oil and gas, what's, what does he say now? Um, well, he is our uh, software developer. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You hired dad. Yeah, that's yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he gives me a much better deal than a typical IT developer. But uh, yeah, no, he's he's so proud. And it's so funny. He's, I think, prior to, to me being an oil and gas, you know, he's, he's a very level-headed guy. So he probably was unbiased in terms of, you know, like the oil and gas segment, um, you know, and kind of all of the the shame and blame it gets, but you know, now he's a total oil and gas lifer and it's funny cause he's, he's involved in Aspen rotary heavily and he's not afraid, you know, to when they've got like some speaker, you know, that some renewables person or, you know, some anti-fossil fuel activist, he's not afraid to put him on the spot and ask some questions that make him look stupid. And, you know, he's, nice. uh, <laughs> it's been really, really fun and rewarding to, to be able to work with, with my dad a bit and share, share my journey with him, um, through the industry. And, you know, my parents have always been super supportive of everything I do. So I don't think, and I don't think my dad was necessarily surprised, but I know they're, they're both very, very proud parents. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. And that's a, it's a huge honor. And I was, I was proud seeing that for you just cause you're, you're in my network and um, most of the other people that get those candidly are in, in big cities, right? And you're, I know. Yeah. 
you're in the stick. So I, I do have a question about that. Do you, do you have like, obviously you like riding horses, mm-hmm. uh, you like sports, you live in Wyoming where there's nothing but land. Do you have like a, do you live on like a ranch? Do you have tons of land? Like what's yeah. your living setup like <laughs> well, that's now that funny. you're out there? Yeah. So, you know, I, I do love Wyoming and Sheridan is such a special place. You know, it, it does truly rival Jackson. It doesn't have the massive mountains and in the massive skiing, but it's at the foot of the Bighorn Mountains, which is these girl, these beautiful rolling green hills that go right up to the base of, uh, you know, the mountains. It's the polo, horse polo capital of the country in the summertime, which not a lot of people know. Um, there's no wind because of the way the Bighorn Mountains are formed around it, which, you know, people don't believe there's anywhere in Wyoming without wind. Oh, my God. And so it, windy. Yeah. Sheridan is is quickly gaining popularity. And we saw that during, you know, this whole de-urbanization movement during COVID. You know, where markets like Aspen, Bozeman, uh, you know, Sheridan really popped off. And so I bought a house in October of 19, a house, bought a little ranchette, a little five-acre ranchette. And I was, you know, have had plans to like put my baby horses there and stuff. And which was totally unrealistic because I don't have the time to have horses at my house. And so um, when, when this whole COVID craze was happening, you know, I called one of my best friends here, who's a realtor. And, you know, I said, do you think I could, we should sell this thing right now because I'm in a pretty coveted area um, outside of Sheridan called Bighorn, which is an unincorporated community about 15 minutes. Um, southwest of Sheridan and much closer to the Bighorns, beautiful views of the Bighorn Mountains, got little one bar town right there. Um, and it's in like the, one of the better school districts, even though Sheridan public schools are top 10% in the country. And so he was like, sure, let's just post it for like one of those make me move prices. And so I posted it for, um, 33% more than I bought it for a year before. <laughs> wow. And it's good, it's good sold, return if you can get it. I got I got an all cash offer sight unseen within four weeks. Oh my god! So I sold it and um, bought a house a mile down the road uh, for much less money. It's got less land, but that's okay. Um, but a newer house, so I've got old two acres now and okay. uh, house right across on the Powderhorn Golf Community. If anyone's familiar with Sheridan, and uh, I love it. It's it's such an awesome place to live. You know, sometimes I have to pinch myself when I wake up in the morning or when I drive home from work and, you know, that I'm able to, you know, have the career and the business, you know, that, that I do while living in a place like Sheridan. Um, I know that, you know, inevitably because of my career goals, um, you know, probably next couple of years, I'll have to start splitting time between here and Houston, but I, you know, always want to have, Sharon and be, you know, true home base. No, that's, that's awesome. I mean, Tim and I are both country boys. You know, I'm, I'm from the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire. Tim's from the everywhere. The, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nowhere, Mexi- everywhere. Mexican border, U S Mexico border in, in South Texas. But no, I, I take a lot of value in what you just said. You know, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to live where I grew up because there just simply wasn't the job opportunities there. You've, you've kind of figured out the the best of both worlds, right? Mm-hmm. You can live somewhere that's remote and that's beautiful, but also be able to have a, a legitimate business. So exactly. And fun. I said this on on a another podcast that was more Wyoming focused, but you know, it's I think, you know, your work productivity truly goes up because, you know, we probably work 
I probably work more hours, you know, if that's possible here than I did in Denver, but it doesn't feel like it because, you know, at the end of a 12 hour work day, you're not driving home an hour and a half stuck in traffic, you know, or driving to work an hour and a half stuck in traffic to where you can never really get away from that hustle. Um, you know, and so I think there's something, you know, that is so important about being able to leave work and, and, you know, leave the chaos, at least mentally and, and here in Sheridan, you're able to do that. You know, you get on the road, it's a beautiful sunset, there's zero traffic. Um, you really have time to, you know, I think recharge, even if you're working, if I'm working 16 hour days, you know, for a couple of weeks straight, I don't, I don't really, it takes, I haven't hit burnout here yet because of that, I think. No, that's, that's great. So Tim, two things. One, I was in Centennial, Colorado, which Whitney knows it's south of Denver tech center area. Yep. And the traffic to go from there to downtown oh, was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like five lanes completely full. And, and this is before everyone's back in the office. So I shudder to think what it's going to be like after the second one, Whitney glazed over this, but it makes sense. After this call, you need to check out Bozeman Real Estate right now because it's like oh. Boulder. It's it's ridiculous right now, Tim. It's crazy. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. Even even little places like Anderson, Texas, and you know, right around Houston, or they they have these little mini little real estate booms. From you know why do you have to be so? Right? You know, I don't want to bounce off something Whitney you said that that strikes me. So when you're in the city of Denver, of Houston, of New York, or you know those places, when you leave your office, everybody's still in a hurry. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. so you, you got your mindset. I need to be in a hurry too. So you really don't get that decompression. And that, you know, I really appreciate what you said about that. That is, you know, when you're, you walk out of the office and everyone's just kind of moving around slowly and waving and nobody is, you know, angry because you're blocking their way. It, it is a different, you get to immediately decompress. Whereas exactly. you take that drive home, you got 15 minutes after you're done getting there still to decompress where you've now you've got your two minutes of drive or whatever and you're there so exactly exactly it makes a massive difference all right okay, so you were stuff. into show jumping which is you know a complete foreign concept to me it scares <laughs> the crap out of me <laughs> yeah. i mean i i can't imagine taking a horse to you know what amounts to what looks like a cliff and saying hey go over this with me I, it makes yeah. no sense but do you still get to do that now or are you yeah uh, i know you, are, you did it for <laughs> university of colorado but you doing yeah. it now I am. So that's, that's my main thing. Um, you know, out, outside of work, that's, that's where I spend most of my time. I train with a, a barn here. It's the only show jumping barn in Wyoming uh, called Colts Unlimited. Uh, great trainers. They're like the premier Colt breakers actually for the, for the show jumping industry. Um, and they're, you know, top level show jumpers themselves. And so I'm just so lucky to to be, I'm one of their only um, actual show clients because most of their business is, like I said, Colts. They've got a you know, multi-year waiting list for, you know, new Colts to start, you know, for, for all sorts of professional riders around the country. And so it's really fun. Um, you know, I get to drive out to the barn. It's 10 minutes away. So I go on, you know, my lunch break or, you know, in the summertime, I like to go after work when it stays, you know, light later and, uh, you know, train with them. And still compete, you know, at you know around eight shows a year, doing hunter jumper stuff, and uh, yeah, it's it's um, you know, my horses are are basically like like my kids, I guess, and uh, <laughs> they're so expensive that I think that I'll just you know have to continue 
working for the rest of my life in oil and gas and uh, <laughs> never be able to retire. I'm working exactly, for exactly. No, that that's good stuff. Yeah, it, it brings me back a little bit too. We went on a family trip on my wife's side to uh, Yellowstone. So we stayed in West Yellowstone, Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, we were probably eight miles away from town and we're driving in. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, it looks like the cowboys have to cross the road with their horses. So we're just driving and then come to a complete stop because, of, I don't know, 20 horses were going from one side of the road to the other and just everybody <laughs> taking their time. It's like, all right, all right you, you don't That's get that awesome. a ton around here. You're but- not in the city anymore. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, that, yeah. was, that was great. I, I just have one more question for you and, and Tim might have another, but, but really, um, and, and I don't want to take you off guard with this, but I'm curious, what advice would you have to young people getting out of college that are looking to get into energy? I mean, somebody who's still, you know, early thirties has, has done her own thing, has worked for companies, Forbes 30 for 30. You know, I think there's some value in, in what you might be able to provide. What advice would you give? And especially to females who might be looking to get into the energy space, um, if there's anything top of mind for you. Yeah. So, you know, if I think it, you know, at, at this point, if you're getting into the industry right now, you know, being that we're entering, I think kind of a, an era of consolidation is, you know, you really have to be committed to it long-term or you should be committed to it long-term. And if you are, I think there's going to be so much opportunity, you know, for the next generation to, you know, take over, you know, leadership roles in the oil and gas industry. You know, we, we've still got, you know, at most of these top positions, these baby boomers, um, you know, between, you know, ages 55 and 65. And these guys are going to, you know, start to retire. And, you know, that's, there's, there's going to be a lot of need um, for very, you know, strong leadership, you know, within the industry you know, over the next 20 years. And so I think if someone is interested, then, you know, you commit to it, work hard, you know, don't give up when, when, uh, you know, times get tough, which they will. Cause definitely. they will, they will. Yeah. You know, and you just gotta, gotta push through and know that, you know, it's work isn't easy <laughs> and, you know, you haven't really earned a work-life balance, you know, until you're probably, you know, <laughs> I would say 45 or 50 years old. That's what my dad used to tell me. And when I used to complain to him that I felt like I was working so much. My <laughs> life was all work, especially when I was at Emerald through the bankruptcy. And you know, at that point I was like 26 or 27. And he was just like, what makes you think at 27, you deserve a work-life balance? <laughs> <laughs> Success comes with a cost. Yeah. It feels like you, it feels like you're there now. Uh, quite honestly. I mean, you've got, Absolutely. you're in the right place. I mean, you're doing what you love with the show jumping. You've got your your business going. Um, so you know, it's it's great to to see you to get to that spot. And 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 you know, quite honestly, at a fairly young age, you you've got a long way to ride this out. It's I'm very yeah. impressed with what you've been able to build so far. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I've. I mean, from an outside perspective, I probably don't have a work life balance because my life you know revolves around the office and work and everything else comes second to that, but. For me, it doesn't feel like it because I'm so passionate about this industry and so passionate about what I do every day that it's still, it just, it, it doesn't feel like work. I have to peel myself, you know, away from the office, um, you know, at the end of the day. And, you know, I always, I love to come into the office on the weekend, you know, and spend a couple hours a day in the office on the weekend. Cause you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's what I love to do and it's where I want to be. 
And that's work-life balance. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I hate to say this too, but I actually really appreciate either early in the morning or a couple hours in the weekend because it's the only time that people don't respond to me right away. (laughs) So it's like, all right, now I have a little bit of quiet where I can get stuff done. What what could take eight hours takes two. So um, I, I appreciate that. Whitney, where can people find out more about your company? Sure. Um, so we've got a, I'm biased, but we have a fantastic website <laughs> at um, rockingww.com. Um, we've got a lot of good information on there, you know, whether you're just learning, looking for information about us as a company, or if you're a potential, you know, seller and you own minerals royalties, um, there's a lot of good different blog um, articles for, for you to read. And uh, we're actually, if I can use this as a, uh, little pitch. Plug um, away. Yes, you can. We, <laughs> I've kind of revamped our acquisition strategy and we're going to pull all of the acquisitions in house. Um, don't want to use any third parties anymore to help us uh, make acquisitions or acquire. And so that means staffing up in house. And so looking for a handful of folks that, you know, uh, are great salespeople, you know, so whether they're coming from the services side or the retail side, or they've been, you know, doing this for another company for a couple of years, you know, I'm indifferent to just want, you know, people that are, that are really good um, connecting with others are not scared of rejection because as a mineral buyer, you get a lot of it. There's a lot of people that have been sold to never sell their minerals or to talk to a landman. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, and so it's a great opportunity for somebody that, you know, is a go-getter and wants to get out of the city and wants to move somewhere like Sheridan and have, you know, better quality of life and have access to the outdoors and, and grow with, with us as a company. That's, oh, that's fantastic. Now that's a recruiting pitch right there. Man, yeah. You're good. You're mm-hmm. good. All right. So, so where can we go see you show jump next? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I will be, yeah, unfortunately I'll be in Omaha the weekend of uh, your crawfish boil showing. Okay. And, and then I'll be in Denver in July. And uh, we're just taking it month by month right now because the show schedule has gotten so uh, weird with COVID. They get, keep getting canceled oh, all yeah. over the place. So that's all for now. Perhaps uh, if they let us into Canada in August, we'll go to Canada, which is much closer to us actually than a lot of the, the shows in the 448. Oh, very cool. So uh, Whitney wanted to thank you for coming on. I'm beat. I'm going to go take a nap and probably dream about, I don't know, horses jumping over the moon or something like that. <laughs> but I uh, appreciate you coming on. Yeah. And have an awesome weekend. Drink some Pedialyte. There you go. (laughs) Thanks.